So hi, Karina. Um, thanks for coming. And I'm really excited about this conversation that we're about to have. Um, I'd love to hear just a little bit about you and what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so what I do is I teach and practice a modality called Quantum Touch. It's an energy healing modality. And I've been using this since 2005 when I first discovered it, when I was looking for a way to help my dad with the symptoms of MSA, which is an aggressive type of Parkinson's disease. And so I was looking for something to help him um, with various symptoms mm. and just to see what was possible really. Mm. And I discovered quantum touch and was really blown away by the body's capacity to change and how malleable the body actually is and by healing in general. And so yeah. it led me on a kind of fast track journey into reading everything I possibly could and learning everything I possibly could about quantum touch and about energy healing. And fast forward to today, um, I've taught this to lots of different people from various walks of life and, and really seen just how powerful healing can be, especially with quantum touch. Wow. So can you tell me a little bit about specifically the what quantum touch is and how it works and what the results and the kind of results you see through your work? Like, how did you help your father with this? So I literally typed healing into Google. I didn't mm -hmm. really know what I was looking for. Right. Um, and loads of different things came up. And quantum touch was the first thing that came up. The reason I was drawn to it is because you didn't have to have any particular belief system, mm. which really, really made a, a big difference to me. I didn't want to have to subscribe to any particular belief system. Right. And it was very grounded and down to earth and based on breathing and intention and focus, things that are very easy to understand. And mm -hmm. so when I worked on my dad, I just used what I'd learned in the workshop, which was something quite out of the box, we learn on quantum touch how to align bones with energy, right. how to get bones to go back into alignment that have been completely misaligned. And most people are misaligned. Right. And my dad was very misaligned. His spine right. was really curved over, like really, really bent over forward. Right. And I worked on him for about an hour the mm -hmm. first time. And really slowly and subtly, his spine, it was like really gradual over the hour. It was tiny mm -hmm. and incremental, but still was making a difference. And after about an hour, his spine was really straight and he was sitting up quite straight and really in his body, like he had strength back in his body. Wow. And the wow, color it's amazing. Just one hour. It was unbelievable. And yeah. the color came back into his face. It was really gray, his face, and it suddenly mm -hmm. had pink you know, like blood was basically flowing again. Wow. And pink cheeks. And and my mum looked at me and she said, what on earth are you doing? And I right. said, I've, I said, honestly, I've got no idea. Right. Because that was really the truth. I said, I've gone on this workshop. I've learned some skills. Mm -hmm. And I'm testing them out. I really don't know what I'm doing. Right. And so we all, we all kind of were like, well, that is insane. That's incredible. Just carry on. Right. And, um, and so I did. And I knew it wasn't going to necessarily be um, a one hit wonder when mm. someone's got a really serious condition. I knew it was going to take many sessions right. um, and frequently, which is why I wanted to learn something for myself, because then I'd have it on tap as a skill that I could use. Right. Um, but what happened was, is over the course of a few months, he just really, really, you could just see the benefits. He would, he would revert. He would go, it was kind of like, um, you know, you go forward a couple of steps and back a step and forward a couple of steps and back a step and all of that. But ultimately the, the picture was, and I only really appreciated this afterwards when I'd worked with other people, quite a few mm. other people with Parkinson's, and I saw that pretty much everybody was having tremors. Right. And I didn't appreciate at the time fully that my dad didn't have tremors. 
Right. Wow. And I can only assume that's a res- as a result of the healing. Right. That his symptoms of Parkinson's itself were very minimized. Mm. And I it kind of this diagnosis of MSA after a few months, the consultant said you just have kind of regular mildish Parkinson's. This is a huge leap because MSA right. would have meant um, a really, really fast uh, progression in the disease mm. and in a lot more of a aggressive way. Right. But actually what he experienced was was much more gentle, right? much more gentle. And things like the tremors he didn't have. Um, right. And it was only afterwards when I worked with lots of other people and I met quite a fair few other people, Parkinson's, that I said, I remember saying to Simon, my husband, wow, I didn't fully appreciate just how much healing must have he must have received that really calmed his system. Right. I didn't fully appreciate the level of reduction of his symptoms. Wow. Um, so I thought, okay, is this, is this a connection just right. between him and I? And I, yeah. and I thought, I'm going to experiment, use this with other people. And so... I did, and I thought, okay, no, this seems to, there's definitely something to this. Um, and I ended up becoming an instructor. And ultimately, the the best thing about this is, it's not, it's not like you have to have some sort of gift that you've been initiated into on a mountaintop. Everybody can do this. Right. It's really easy to learn. That's the most important point here, is it's not something that is this... Um, you know, you've intuited it and it's a gift. It's it's not, it's a skill set. It's it's no different to learning to play a game, you right. know, or an instrument. It's just a skill set. Mm. You learn to cultivate and the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. That's yeah. it. Right. Wow. So so can you tell me a little bit, like you're saying it's a very simple skill set to learn. What what are the what is the simple what is the skill set like what is it that you have to really learn to do to be able to um, facilitate this kind of healing? Four things really: um, breathing. Okay. So learning to breathe where you bring in much more air. Yeah. And that amplifies the life force energy that's flowing through you. Mm-hmm. Intention. So okay. being quite focused with your intention. Mm-hmm. Learning how to focus your attention okay so what's the difference between intention and attention so an intention is we're we're subconsciously intending all day long for example i intend to eat dinner at seven i intend to be in bed at 10 whatever it is Mm -hmm. all day long our mind is constantly jumping ahead with intentions for the future yeah we're all well most of us are running to a schedule right and this is subconscious. And so we can consciously set intentions mm-hmm. beyond that level on a deeper level. So I, I ask and I intend that these bones go back into balance. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I look at intention is like putting a postcode into the sat nav. And you're just putting your destination of where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And after that, you just drive. Right. And the sat nav works out path. So it's mm-hmm. the same with healing. You set your intention and then the energy knows where it needs to go because you're working with the body's own innate intelligence. Right. So it will just take the energy where it needs to go. Now, I personally combine my intention setting with a prayer. Not Mm -hmm. everybody does, but I do. So my intentions always start with, I ask, pray and intend that whatever it is that this, you know, the hips go back into balance and harmony or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And attention is basically cultivating the skill, and it is a skill, especially today with technology, mm-hmm. cultivating the skill to hold your attention on a partic- one particular thing mm-hmm. for a longer period of time. To keep focused on that thing the whole time. Yeah, and that's the skill. How do you how do you prevent your mind from wandering? How do you do that? So the mind always wanders. Um, yeah. What I do is just give it something fun to wander to. Right. So okay. I don't try and stop the wandering as as such, but in quantum touch, we are constantly focusing on the body, mm. very mindfully, 
And so having something to come back to that is useful, you can't prevent the mind from wondering it's the nature of the mind, but you can just keep giving it an anchor to come back to, to bring you back to longer periods of time of being present. So, also, so practically, what do you mean by that? Let's say, for example, you're working with someone who's lying on a bed and their hips are out of alignment and you're um, breathing in a specific way in your body to kind of amplify your energy. You have set an intention that you want these hips to go back into place. And now what are you doing with your focus? You're, you have your attention on the hips. So you have, so my focus is, well, the difference between quantum touch and many other therapies and modalities is your your focus is always on yourself right so the practitioner is constantly focusing on themselves right and on raising their energy to a really high level yeah and then what happens is is the client starts to mirror or entrain to the yeah. practitioner's high energy so in quantum touch you're focusing on yourself or in or in other modalities yeah, yeah okay quantum touch you're focusing on yourself uh, so you're not focusing on the person's hips, you're focusing on the energy inside of yourself. Yeah. Okay. I'm you're focusing on... And then you're focusing on yourself. Okay. So you've got so far breathing, intention, yeah. mm -hmm. attention. And then the last one, it's probably the most important one, is love. Okay. So, so what's your definition of love? So... From the perspective of, of quantum touch, love can be thinking of what you love most. Mm -hmm. So really bringing to mind things that you that put you into a deeply loving state. So that you're feeling, experiencing love in your body. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you want to be in a position where you're breathing in a specific way, feeling a sense of love in your body, which should which would be expansion. Mm -hmm. Um presence would you say i think richard gordon wrote in his book that that the this is why like children say to their parents watch me because they just want to be seen and and the experience of being seen is the experience of being loved yeah i think he what does he write he say he says the essence of a human being is love and therefore a, a, just like a rock doesn't have to try and be more rock like a human being doesn't have to try and be more loving is that what he says right that Very this is just the essence right. of who we yeah. are so yeah. if love is the essence of who we are, we're basically, but sometimes we don't feel loving. So you're saying that we need to kind of reveal the essence of who we are, stand mm -hmm. in a position where the essence of who I am is revealed. I'm experiencing love in my heart. I'm breathing in a specific way. I have an intention that this is, we want to heal these, align these hips and focus. And I'm focusing on, I'm still not quite sure on the focusing thing. You said, I'm I'm focusing on myself, but what exactly am I focusing on myself? That is so there's a lot to that question or workshop stuff. Yeah. Cause I'm not gonna do it justice. Yeah. Right. Okay. So there's a little bit about focusing that we're not so clear on, but that's if that's all right. If someone's interested, they'll go ahead and do a workshop with you. Um okay, so so this is this is a really interesting um position. So basically you're saying that this the combining these things together yeah what happens is is that um the person that you're working with you can see amazing healing results um and with your father you saw the parkinson's healing and how many i mean how many clients do you think that you have seen and worked with over the last um how many years has it been that you've been doing this work um well i started in 2005 and then i okay. became a practitioner and instructor in 2007 so okay so that's like 17 years you've been doing this work wow <laughs> yeah wow it's a long time tell, tell me one of your best healing stories I mean how many clients do you think you've worked with hundreds of people thousands of people like where would you kind of place yourself well I've definitely taught thousands okay um, I've taught thousands wow I've probably worked with a lot of people I've got no idea how many right okay easily hundreds so tell, um, tell me one of your favorite favorite healing stories. Okay. Um, one of my favorites is my client, Joanna, mm -hmm. who recently published this story in What Doctors Don't Tell You magazine. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, I haven't, but well, I'll oh, it's, it's a great magazine. So yeah. What Doctors Don't Tell You, it's, it's Lynn McTaggart's magazine. Mm -hmm. Okay. She, she authored the Intention Experiment and some really cool 
uh, books like that. And I basically a journalist got in touch about Quantum Touch and interviewed me about Quantum Touch and wanted to speak to one of my clients. So mm-hmm. I I connected her to Joanna because it's one of my favorite stories. So Joanna came to me. Um, gosh, this is some years ago, quite a few years ago, at mm-hmm. least I'd say about nine, ten years ago. And she was in so much pain, the doctors did not know what to do with her. Mm. She had been diagnosed with fibromyalgia because they didn't really know what else to label it as. Mm. And she was in so much pain that she couldn't walk. They gave her nine injections in hospital, Mm. nine injections in her neck to try and get rid of the pain. Right. Wow. It didn't. It did not touch the pain. It did not touch the sides. Mm. Her mum went online trying to find something to help her, mm-hmm. um, and just stumbled on Quantum Touch. And she called mm-hmm. me up and she said, "Please, will you help my daughter?" And I said, I'd, "You know, I'll, I'll try." Um, obviously, you can never guarantee anything. I'll, I'll definitely try. Um, she came, Joanna came to me. Joanna was a little bit skeptical. She'd never had any healing before. And she could, she didn't realize I lived in a flat at the time and that she had to walk up the stairs. It was a whole difficulty, a whole yeah. thing. She needed her mum to help her just to get her up the stairs. Walking right. was agony for her to the point where she didn't, she really didn't know if she would be able to walk much longer. Mm. And she lay down on the massage table. And I'm working on her. And after a while, I don't remember how long, it was at least halfway through the session, we both heard and felt this unlocking sound in both of her knees. Oh, wow. And it was so profound that I jumped back a bit. Mm. It took me by surprise. I was not expecting it. I was Mm. not aiming for it. Mm -hmm. And her knees just rotated something went back into place wow and her pain just dissipated oh wow and at the end of the session she got up and she just walked around like completely normally and she ran down the stairs and she called me from her house and said she was dancing around like a child she couldn't actually believe she was pain free she'd had nine injections in hospital in her oh neck. my goodness wow and nothing she'd been to she'd taken every type of medication that you could possibly take for pain and she'd had this one quantum touch session and it had completely we know we're still not entirely sure what it did but mm. all we know is that the knees unlocked and went back into some sort of alignment and her pain went mm. and her life completely changed from that day she became a practitioner she walked in as a skeptic she ended up becoming a quantum touch practitioner she ended up changing her entire life around and being open to a whole world of things that she was not open to before wow and it was just that was a very very profound session wow amazing yeah that was yeah so I don't know if I've ever told you my healing story with quantum touch but I'm going to tell you that now have I ever told you no please no okay so before I did the training with you I read the books I read Richard Gordon's book um the the first one what's it called the first one I forgot the The power to heal um the black cover with all the the people around in a circle yeah okay so I read that one and he explains very clearly the technique so you start off by um starting to to build sensation inside of your body energetically so you start noticing your feet and the tingling sensations in your feet and by placing your attention on them and then amplifying the sensations by breathing with your attention on them in order to you know um, expand and and deepen the experience and to go up your body slowly one limb at a time so um, and using the fire breaths to amplify amplify the, the energy so the fire breaths are like one deep breath in and one out so you're breathing in for one and out for one with all you've got right and um and so i i started 
practicing and in the beginning I felt some sensation in my feet and then I, I moved to my ankles and I moved to my calves and it took me a while it was very slow but I was I was determined I was like really really interested in energy healing and I found it to be so like um over my head like because I was not you know I would see I had friends who could see energy and I was so jealous of that I was like I I, I want I want some of this so I was really trying to like to get some kind of sense but it was very hard for me to sense energy outside of my body but inside of my body through this process I, I I think also the process of putting my hands rubbing my hands together and then moving them apart I started to feel like a bit of a magnetic pull between them I started to experience energy with inside my own body and I think it took me a long time maybe a couple of weeks to really get sensation through my whole body because I had to like sit and really focus on my calves until I felt tingling in them and then really focus on my thighs and the hardest bit was my torso like I could get my arms I could get my even the sides of my head but my torso felt like literally like it was like this numb block slab of like stone and I just sat with I just kept my attention on my lower back my lower back and I slowly inched my way up until I started feeling something within my body using these breaths and at the time I had from from the time when I had my first child and I think that, I, that this happened after I had my fourth child um, I had randomly just got these back spasms so all of a sudden I start feeling the muscles in my back clench to like an absolute rock and I literally could not move my head and couldn't move my arms and I was in excruciating pain and could barely walk and every time that happened, it took me by surprise. And it was always at the worst time ever. Like I was on my way to work or I was on, I was, you know, had a huge busy day ahead of me. And I was so, I was incapacitated. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And then I'd have to like, I couldn't even go and see like an osteopath to have them click my back into place. Cause it was, the muscles were so inflamed. So I'd have to wait a couple of days of just literally lying still. And then, um, I'd have I'd have one session and then a few days later I'd have another session and I'd still be in pain up to two or three days weeks later to be able to move but like I was still carrying the achiness and the pain in my muscles for like two or three weeks of time after that anyway so basically um it was this one time in the middle of the night I think it was two o'clock in the morning and I just sat up in my bed and and I somehow just moved in the wrong position I'm whole back just felt I was like oh no I just can't be doing this now and I was in, I just lay flat on my back. I was in excruciating pain. If I stayed absolutely still, I was okay. But if I moved slightly one inch, either way, I was, I was just it was dying of pain. Like it was so excruciating. And I was lying there at two o'clock in the morning and I was like, I'm going to try this quantum touch stuff that I've just learned from reading that book. So I'm, I'm lying there on my bed and I started to do the do the breaths and the technique where you basically um you you amplify the energy through the five breaths and then you gather it together with the four by four breaths so four in and four out and you kind of like you you amplify the energy and then kind of scoop it all together and direct it into one place in your body so I just kept doing this I was like amplifying the energy I was like breathing and I was feeling all that tingling in my body and I was imagining I was gathering all and just putting it in my back and just putting it in my back and I just kept, it was hard for me to breathe because I, I was, my muscles were so um, tense in my back. It was the, the top part of my back. So every time I breathed in, felt like this, it was really painful because my whole diaphragm was completely locked, but I did it anyway, because I was just determined to like sort this thing out. And, um, and I started feeling a lot of heat going towards my back and I started sweating. Like I was like really like feeling a lot of energy building and I was probably very lightheaded, but I wasn't moving. So it was fine. I wasn't going anywhere, but I just kept doing this. I probably doing it for about an hour and a half because I couldn't move anywhere and I couldn't sleep either. And after about an hour and a half, I literally felt everything in my back almost like just, you know, like when you're opening up a bracelet and you just kind of push it in one direction and then it unclicks in the other direction. So I felt it like, tense like one more time like click and then unclick and everything just opened up like that my whole muscles and everything just literally opened up and I could sit up and move normally and wow. it was and I have never had a back spasm since I didn't know this story that's amazing yeah I've had I've had aches and pains in my back here and there I have but I've never had a complete I've had maybe a shoulder that went a bit stiff or a bit of my side of my neck but never had my whole back freeze up like that never and even when I have had it slightly it's been much more milder than that and it's always been due to like me just being really tired and exhausted and stressed but like the that experience was like oh my goodness it was amazing 
And I have since used this method to heal myself from um, in infections and fever. Every time I, I used to also get sick a lot. I used to like once or twice a year, I'd, I'd just come down with a temperature and I like two or three days I was like, and also I, I would just use this method to, to move the fever and I also haven't really got sick. And basically, I personally have found much more success in using quantum touch on myself than on other people, which I find interesting. Some people, I think, find more success in working on others than themselves. And I find I've had much more consistent results with working with myself. When I work with other people, sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't. And it's a little bit like, you know, I can try and see, but... And some people say, wow, that was really helpful. And some people didn't feel any different. But for myself, I consistently, every time I use it on myself, I experience, um, um, I experienced what, you know, a shift in, in something, which is amazing. And so not only has quantum touch helped me with my healing process and, and becoming more embodied, it has actually also helped me to pray. Okay, and this is really what I wanted to discuss with you today, like the spiritual elements, and it really helped me to understand things that I didn't understand about the process of, of prayer before I studied this. Now, I came across some really interesting sources of trying to understand, I was always very interested in like trying to figure out like, what is prayer? Like, what is it supposed to be? Because it's something that, as a religious Jew, we do every day. But a lot of the prayers can be uh, are like, you know, there's, there's a book and we read from the book and it can become very monotonous in the sense that like you're just reading words and, you know, and you're thinking about your shopping list and you're thinking about like where you need to go and what you need to do. And like, I always had this understanding that prayer was supposed to be opening up channels to receive things that we needed in our lives. Um, you know, I understood that it was um, creating a channel or a vessel in this world, which is automatically filled with the thing that you're praying for. Like in, in, in the Torah, it explains that when Hashem created the world, um, on the third day of creation, he, he created trees and all, all, the, all the greenery, all the plants, but they would, didn't actually grow. They just stayed underneath the surface. And then when, when Adam was created, he saw that the world needed rain in order for everything to grow. So he prayed for rain and then it rained and everything grew. Okay. So there's something about us being the human, the humans being the, the link, um, the partners, the co-creators with, with God when it comes to this world. And basically we, we are fulfilling our co-creator our, our co role by noticing, seeing what um becoming aware of what's lacking and then asking for it and opening ourselves up to receive it we kind of like close the gap by doing that because we see we become aware we ask for and we receive um so basically there was a long time when i was trying to figure out what is this it doesn't seem like i'm doing this and also there were times in my life where i was very desperate for certain things and i would like beg god for them like from a desperate place and like nothing happened and i'd be like hey what's going on like what is this you know, prayer doesn't even work. But then I kept hearing and reading things about how prayer can change things. And I was like, but I'm obviously not doing the right kind of prayer. And I obviously don't know what prayer is. So I've been spending a long time in my mind, chewing over, trying to figure out what it is. And I came across like quite a few different sources that kind of start to paint a picture of something that is much more than, um, than what... Um, I ever, you know, grew up knowing or I was taught. And it was super, super helpful for me. And I want to share it with you. And a lot of it, I feel like, is the structure of quantum touch. So, so this is, these is, I'm going to read you some sources and then we're going to, we're going to discuss them and, and figure them out together because there's a whole picture here, which is just an, paints an amazing picture. So the first one is in Exodus, at Shamos, okay, 2325. And this is what it says. When you do your divine service, it uses the word avoda, which means divine service. We're gonna we're gonna have to figure out what define what avoda means in a minute, and I'm gonna we're gonna find other sources to try and define what avoda is because there's a lot of different words used to really define the same idea. So we're gonna see it from different aspects, and then and then we'll put them all together. So when you do your avoda to Hashem, He will bless your bread and your water and remove sickness from within you. Bless your bread. Bless your bread and water. So 
that that is an expression of you'll have abundance and he will remove sickness from within you so you'll heal from any illness and you'll experience abundance in life when you do your avoda so what is avoda now avoda is used in many many places synonymously with prayer it is considered to be prayer and in fact i have here this is a discourse um written or delivered by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I'm going to I read guess. to you, sorry, what he says. He defines that the primary avoda is love. And I'm just going to find you that quote here. Oh, okay, here it goes. The Zohar says, there is no avoda like the avoda of love. Love of Hashem. Well, we're going to, we, we, in, in other sources, which I'm not going to read to you, we have this understanding that every single person has within them a wellspring of hidden love for God deep within their heart. Now, what that means, I mean, ultimately, if we're going to start defining God, we're going to, God is everything, okay? God is the unified field of energy in absolutely everything. So it's not that there's me and there's a God over there. We're talking about, am I connected with, in love with a unified field of energy that is all things, that is lifeless energy and information within everything. We're part of this co cosmic oneness, right? Am I, am I experiencing love for this cosmic oneness? That's what we're saying. And ultimately what we're saying is every single person has within them, it's a hidden love. It's because we don't always experience it, but through our work, we can reveal it. And this is what the Avoda is, revealing the love that was always there all along. And this is where Richard Amazing. Gordon came along and said, you don't have to try and be more loving. You are love. That's the essence of who you are. Right. It's just about revealing what he does say in the book. I remember his quote. He says, what you can do is endeavor to expose how much love there is. Is that something like that? Yeah. Yeah. He said it's he. Amazing. It's everything you're saying is is. It's just like a crystal clear match. Richard Richard's big statement is he says. Healing happens and miracles happen when you become changed by love. Wow. Tell me more about that. What does that mean? So it means that exactly as you said, as we reveal more of what's there, mm. we get to experience our true nature. Mm -hmm. It changes us. Right. It changes us biologically. Literally, it fires off every hormone, every chemical that we need to yeah. thrive. It's fired off in the body in abundance when we feel the depth of our love but it's easier said than done for many people because this has been clouded over right like richard says the sun is always there mm -hmm. the sun's never the sun doesn't move but sometimes there's loads of clouds in front of the sun what, what does he say clouds over i'd love to hear from you what, what does he say it is that clouds are over anything that blocks you from feeling love joy gratitude mm -hmm. Right. Basically. Interesting. So, so, so from the Hasidic perspective, we would say what clouds are over is, um, is we define it as animal soul An animal soul. We define as instinctive survival mechanisms inside of the body that are based on the primal lie and the primal lie is I am separate. And when a person believes that they are separate, that they're not part of this unified field of energy, they have a desperate need for ap approval and therefore their locus of evaluation of like um who am i in it is 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 what do you think of me rather than i know i'm enough they go to um if you think i'm a good person then i'm a good person and if you think i'm a bad person i'm a bad person and then based on this one primal lie of separateness all of the limiting beliefs, all of the self-consciousness, all the shame, doubt, worthlessness that a person feels are built on that, depending on the life experience that this person has had. So depending on what they've had to figure out how to survive through their childhood or through their, what they've, you know, learned as learned behavior. So if they, for example, learned that if you get good marks on your tests, you're a worthy person. So this, this, the, the animal soul or the, we say animal instinct because it's instinctive. It's the amygdala. It's the part of the brain that's um, before thought as in it's, it's faster than the, the speed of thought. So it's very impulsive and instinctive. If my worth is based on how much, um, 
what did I say, how, how high my marks are. So I will experience shame if I get low marks. I will be, do everything I can to bring my marks up, um, including being mean to other people or including maybe cheating or including what are all the things, all the behavior that a person would do that maybe we would call that taking a person out of their dignity, right? To prove themselves because they underneath believe that they're not enough. They're just not, that. They, why do I believe I'm not enough? Because I experience myself as separate and therefore alone and therefore worthless and therefore meaningless. And therefore I have to work very hard to prove the opposite because I can't survive with this belief simply because it's not true. Simply because we all are all part of one unified field of energy. So basically it's this, and we call it in Kabbalistic terms, klipa. Klipa just means shell the shell and there are many clippers in the world and every clipper is just a lie a shell a cover-up hiding the truth and um we all have this the essence of love within us and then we have shells which are our self-consciousness our self-doubt ourself and all these things get in the way of us experiencing the truth of who we are which is love essence the essence of love right and so we have a prescription on how to undo the clippers, right? And we call that teshuva. And teshuva just means in Hebrew to return, to return to the essence of who you are, right? So I, I grew up with this definition of teshuva as repentance, right? And but repentance is like, I'm very bad and I'm so sorry, I'm so bad, will you please forgive me? Whereas the true definition of teshuva is, it's just a return back to the, to the essence of who you are returning it's returning it's not repenting you didn't you know you you were never bad in the first place it's <laughs> return to the truth of who you are and when you return to the truth of who you are you break the clippers they just shatter wow. they like they lose their energy because they're really just shells like they don't actually have substance to them they're empty shells that's what they are um like ego you can call it ego, you can call it ego, but um, sometimes people have negative um, connotations about the word ego. They think, well, you know, um, having an ego is a bad thing, but really an ego is a survival instinct and we all have one and we all need one. And that's what kind of keeps us, keeps us um, alive for most of our life. And then it gets to a point where we realize that actually we're in, we're in safe hands, like we're, we don't have to keep surviving, we can start to live. We can really start to enjoy our lives and experience the truth of reality and uncover the lies and experience the love. Wow. So I, I just, I found my sources, you wanna hear them? Okay. So this is, this is in, this is in Tanis, um, the, the Talmud, okay. And, um, what he says is, what service can truly be called the service of the heart? So we said, what service, as in what avoda, what is avoda shebelev, the work of the heart, which is what we call, um, and he says the answer is prayer. So his, this is the source for understanding that when we're talking about avoda, when we're talking about the work of the heart, we're talking about also some form of, of prayer, okay? Um, and then what we, then the next source I have here is um, Amuna is by definition tefillah. So now we can say, well, what is Amuna? Amuna is prayer. Okay, what does that mean? Um, as the verse says, his hands were Amuna, with, which Onkelos translates into Aramaic, his hands were spread out in prayer. Thus, Amuna and tefillah are synonymous. So tefillah we have explained is prayer. And Amuna now is literally translated as faith. This, this source comes from Lekute Maran, um, which is a book written by Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. He was a Hasidic master. And he, 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 he put those two things together. He said, Amuna is tefillah. So, so what we translate Amuna to literally mean is faith. Faith is prayer. But the thing is, is that there's a lot of discussion about what is, what is Amuna, and it's not specifically faith. Again, the English translations really fail us a lot with these words because they're not so... Um, English is very one-dimensional, and, and the Hebrew language has got so much 
richness and depth to it. So it's very hard to capture a Hebrew word with one English word. But then we have another explanation here, which is going to give us an understanding of what Amuna is. And so he says, this, this, is, um, this is from the Baal Shem Tov, who was the um, original, the founder of the Hasidic movement. And he says that one can simply not pray properly unless he first experiences himself as being surrounded by light on all sides and really feels it. Okay, so we're talking here about a felt sense of standing in a space of light and expansion, or you can call that love and presence because it's all the same thing. The experience of the heart being open you can say it's presence, you can call it love, you can call it, you know, and, um, and then also um, to really feel it. So that would mean it would be a body experience. So here we're saying that prayer is a felt sense, prayer and amuna synonymous with each other, or it is a felt sense of being surrounded by light, experiencing and feeling as if you are, okay, so you're falling back already into an experience rather than it being a mental exercise or a doing thing, it's a felt sense and experience. And, um, and then here we have in another, in another place, we have um, Amuna in Hashem is Devekas. Devekas means a sense of love and connection. Okay, so now we have a definition of what, what is Amuna. Amuna is a sense, a felt sense of love and connection. To be in a state of devakas with a divine, it is the ultimate level of spiritual perfection. To stand in a place. So again, now we have the word devakas being synonymous with amuna. So devakas, tefila, amuna, and um, what was the other word? An anavoda, all have the same meaning, mm. right? They're all standing in this place, having a felt sense of expansion, and love, and connection with this divine energy all around that I'm feeling in my that's heart. Exactly. So that's exactly, we talked about focus. Yes. Exactly what we're aiming to focus on. And it's a felt sense. Anything you visualize is only there to get you to the sense and the feeling and the right. awareness. Wow. Wow. So we've, 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 we've put the missing piece in the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what you're saying. Yes. Well, that's the intention. That's the aim is to, yeah. to arrive at what you're saying. Right. So, wow, this is amazing. So this is so when I learned this, when I learned all these things about about tefillah and I was learning these sources, the first thing I thought in my mind was that's quantum touch. That's and, and you know what? I found it to be so helpful because the tools that quantum touch gave me helped me to really understand this stuff. And to be able to practically use it in my life and to have to know what it means to have a felt sense in the body and to know what it means. And I found that instead of that, that prayer is an experience in the body rather than a thought process in the mind, because the mind wanders very quickly, but the felt senses in the body stay. And, and you know, for example, if you have that pain in your toe, you can be thinking about a hundred other things, but you're always aware of that pain in your toe. And also when you have an expanded experience of like love in your heart, you also can be getting on with other things but you still feel that expansion in your body and you're aware of it and 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 this is also beginning from my understanding of what kavana is kavana is again i'm not going to bring sources because it's just too much but kavana is is an emotion of love and awe a combination of love and awe in one's heart and a combination of love and awe is compassion so you have in the Kabbalistic tree, you have chesed on the one side, which is love, and it's it's a yearning. It's more of a um, expansive quality. In Chinese medicine, you'd call it more more um, yin because it's it's an expansion, and then yang is more of a contraction, which is a more of an awe and a boundary and and a respect and a structure. And the balance in the middle is what we call tiferes, and tiferes in Hebrew comes from the same root as refuah, which means to heal. That's and it is yeah the balance and it's to heal and it is also means harmony which and beauty and it is basically um and it's also it's also the sphere of compassion and truth it's the center column of jacob and he represents he was the one of the, the patriarch that represented the middle path and compassion and basically um he, this this place of i mean from my understanding compassion is presence without judgment would you say that's accurate very much yeah yeah so just folk again which sounds so i was trying to figure out is is richard gordon's definition of love actually compassion 
according to Kabbalah, love is more of a yearning for something. So in the healing processes, it's more of a presence rather than a yearning, that, right? Am I yeah, right? Or is there both? A mixture between the two? Especially in the level two, which is entirely based on the heart, uh, the yeah. heart center and, and feeling love. Yeah. From my perspective, the most profound changes happen when you are offering the love with no judgment. You don't, you don't need to be anything to please me. No, you don't need to heal for me. Right. I'm just going to offer it. Kind of like I, I liken it to I might have spent all day cooking you an amazing meal. Right. I'm not going to stand over you like some guilt tripping, you know, right. mother going, well, I've spent all day. You know, <laughs> if you want to eat it, I put it on the table. It's an offering right. it's on the table. If you want it, I don't care. Genuinely oh. don't care either way if you eat it or not. And that is where a true potential for a healing occurs. Right. So there's, there's a no real surrender that goes into that. Yeah, there's no attachment. Very so you, you become a real yeah. channel to receive or to give and yeah. without any... Yeah, but what you often find is when people are learning a skill because they want to help a family member, for instance, mm -hmm. or a loved one, there's a mm -hmm. huge amount of attachment there. Right, you know? and then there's the desperation that probably gets in the way of the healing happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see it a lot, actually. And actually, um, the most... And it sounds almost uncaring, but it's not the case. But when you step back and you say, whether you, it's like I offer you the healing and I really, really trust the process that if you absorb this or not, right, is none of my business. Right. I'm happy for you either way. Then you start to create the space for big healing to happen. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's really. This, the you, one time I was at one of your workshops when you kind of did a meditation with us and you said fall back into you're falling back into a deck chair like the arms of God that's going to hold you yeah. and it was my first experience of actually instead of trying hard to get what I needed or to reach God or to be enough I could just fall back into who I was and I found that to be such a profound shift and I actually often go back to thinking that and often go back to that experience of just fall back into your body, just relax into what is just open and expand to receive rather than trying to make it happen, trying to do, trying to do God's job, which is impossible, rather becoming a channel for God's light to flow through you for whatever is all the divinity within you to just be revealed because it's there all along. It's just, and, and when we try, we're really getting in the way of it being revealed because it, it it comes under our our survival instinct i have to i need to because otherwise terrible things are going to happen to me because i'm yeah, really I really understand. feeling very small inside yeah so all healing is about getting out of the way getting out of the way wow all healing is about getting out the way yeah. completely out the way yes shema which is the prayer that we say twice a day officially as religious jews is all about surrender it's all about getting out of the way you know that this is this is the the hidden meaning behind it that it's in in that point of the day is the time to really meditate or to get to a place where a person can have an emotional experience of letting go and surrendering everything to god and just saying i'm in like i'm a channel for you you know i take all of my personal interest out of this i just want to be a channel for divine energy in this world and um it's just such it's such a it's such a central part of Judaism, this this ability to just let go and let God, you know, Completely. and to be a channel. Yeah. Wow. So what have you found interesting about this conversation? Well, it's kind of led me to think about the question if we knew how to truly pray mm. would we need healing mm. this is from the Baal Shem Tov it's from Kesa Shem Tov and this is where he says the most important thing about prayers the most important thing about prayer he says one must also believe okay that as soon as one expresses the words of prayer from his mouth his request is answered and even when one's request does not seem to be answered this is because the answer has remained hidden from him for example, his request may have been answered for the benefit of the world in general, although he had requested that his 
personal suffering may be removed. However, this itself is for his benefit. So can you just translate that into... What he's saying is that the most important thing about prayer is knowing that as soon as you utter that prayer, it is already answered. So a lot of times when we, it, it's opening and expanding to receive, and this, is, this comes into the category of bitachon, what is bitachon? And we can have a whole nother conversation about this, right? Bitachon being uh, an absolute knowing and an absolute belief. Amuna is I believe in God, as in I surrender completely to God, which is what we've just been discussing. I'm an absolute channel. And bitachon is, and God believes in me. And oh, so wow. that, see, that's massive. Yeah. Because we all, you know, everybody will believe in, most people believe in God and in a higher source, but they don't believe that. That God believes in re- me. Yeah, that they're going to receive the answer mm-hmm. to the prayer. So you're saying, let me just reflect this back, just so yeah. I make sure I understood it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're saying that your prayer is always answered. It's yes. just that it's not answered in the form that you think answered in a way that is for the greater good of the whole yes so you've let's say somebody prays for a healing and they don't necessarily see the healing in the form that they thought right so you're saying their prayer was answered yes this is what anyway. the Baal is teaching a person and, and the belief. And this, this I'm going to read you this as another source, which is so amazing, which really, really defines what Bitachon is, what this belief is, and the power, the healing power of this belief. Okay. This is a sicha that a talk given by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, and he, on, the, on the subject of Bitachon. Okay. So these are just excerpts that I'm going to read you. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. It's a long um, essay. It's, I can, um, if, if you wanted to read the whole thing, I can let you know where the source is, but these are just excerpts. So, bitachon, which is, we've translated as belief, is not merely the, the faith that God has the potential to bestow good upon a person and save him from adversity or whatever that thing is, whether it's health, whether it's any form of abundance in a person's life that a person wants, any issues. We're talking here not only about physical healing, but also being a channel for all goodness to come into the world. Instead, it implies that the person trusts that God will actually do this. And this trust is so absolute that he is serene and does not worry at all, which means his nervous system is regulated. He's in a state of expanded consciousness and peace in it because he truly knows. Now, the difference between trying to convince yourself that something's going to be good when you really feel panicked inside and really, really knowing on a very deep cellular DNA kind of level, right? This takes work to do this, right? It takes, right? But this is what he's saying is, is, is this what bitachon is? Um, um, and then he quotes Chovas Halavovas, which is, which is um, a source that he's quoting, states, the essence of bitachon is the serenity of the person who trusts. His heart relies on the one whom he trusts that he will do what is best and most befitting with regards to the matter he trusts in him. Explanation is required. What is the foundation for this absolute certainty? Even when there is an explicit promise from God, it is possible that the promise will not be fulfilled because perhaps there's, he, the quote he brings is sin will have had an effect. And what that means is that it could be that I have done something to fragment or to break the vessel in some way to receive this thing, right? So even if God tells me he's going to give me an, uh, you know, this, if he spoke to me directly and told me this, there's still a chance that I could, I could say, well, maybe, maybe he was sending it to me, but I just don't have the vessel. I broke the vessel, right? So what he says is that certainly this applies when there is no such promise. And if God didn't promise you that he's going to give you X, Y, and Z, so how, do you, how can you be so certain he's going to give it to you, right? This is his question. How can you be so certain? And what he says is, is relevant to each of us, for there is no righteous man in this world who will do good and not sin. So everyone is imperfect. So how, how can I rely upon like receiving this goodness? And even Yaakov, our patriarch, had the fear of not giving him what he had promised. So certainly it applies to, to us, right? In the Torah, it says that, that Yaakov was afraid, but Hashem had promised him already that he was going to be fine. So why was he afraid? This is what the whole sikh is based on. This whole, this whole talk is based on that. Why was he still scared, even though he'd had this promise from God? And this is what we're understanding here. Instead, bitachon involves work 
and labor within one's soul. And this effort and labor in developing bitachon in God invokes God's kindness. So when a person truly trusts in God alone, from the depth of his soul, to the extent that he has no worries at all, his arousal of trust itself causes God to conduct himself with, with him in this appropriate manner, granting him kindness, even when on his own accord, without taking the trust into account, he is not worthy of this kindness. This is the intent of the comment to trust in God, that a person should cast his burden on God, relying on him to grant him manifest and apparent good. Since he trusts God alone without making calculations as to whether or not it is possible for him to be saved according to the natural order. This causes a corresponding approach towards him in the spiritual realms. God protect, protects him and showers mercy upon him even when, when one to make a reckoning, he would not be worthy and he enables him to appreciate manifest and apparent good. So basically what he's implying here that even if a person on their own account has, you know, many fragment parts of themselves that are fragmented the fact that their trust is basically the vessel that draws down yeah. the the abundance and the last bit here which is just so fascinating it says is this is the intent of the the Tzemach Sedek, which was the third Chabad Rebbe that the person's bitachon itself will lead to positive results and this is this is not a supplementary element of our bitachon in God quite the contrary this is the definition of the bitachon that one, that the definition of what bitachon is. How do you expand your bitachon? Okay, um, we'll talk about that in a second. And because because the Semach Sedek used to say, the quote, Trach gut ven sein gut, think good and it will be good. And Amazing. it's a nice catchphrase, you know, very nice, but he actually meant it, as in like it was like genuine what he was saying. And the last paragraph is he says, and if he has absolute faith in God, that God will help him so that the situation will be good until he is utterly serene without any worry at all. This betochen will bear fruit. Needless to say, he must also do whatever he can in the natural way to remove these obstacles. But it is his betochen that will shift the flow of the paradigm and he will see the realization of the promise, think good and it will be good. And this will become manifest all of the obstacles will be eliminated and he will enjoy actual good that is apparent and manifest to all. So basically, the process of inner work that creates a sense of serenity is actually the vessel that receives what it is that the person is wanting to receive, whether it is health or abundance or whatever it is. So, so again, we go back to this question, like you said, well, what is that inner work? What is that inner work? And I believe it is inner work on regulating the nervous system, really, really taking, getting the body to be serene. So you're working on a thought process, you're, you're internalizing this, this idea that actually God wants me to experience abundance. I'm part of this cosmic unity and that I'm just receiving and passing on and I'm, you know, and, and nothing really truly belongs to me and I never really give anything away. And I'm, I, I'm just kind of, the more I receive, the more I can give, you know, so, I'm, I'm really just in this expanded space. And basically, um, for a person to be that way, I have, to, I have to understand this logically in my thought process, but I also have to let my body know this. I have to work with my, um, my limbic system. I have to work with my, my cellular memory, my amygdala, in order for, to down-regulate and completely become absolutely serene in my body to be able to... Um, be less triggerable. <laughs> now, how you do that you can have a whole nother class on it. But basically, in, in a nutshell, there are studies that were done with Zen monks and um, regular people trying to look at their brains and neuroplasticity. Do you know, you're familiar with neuroplasticity, the capacity for the brain to change the way it's working. And, and basically, they saw that people who spend a lot of time every day meditating and um, and down regulating the nervous system had a different brain wiring so they were less triggerable they were more in peaceful they had more prefrontal cortex capacity to to perceive other other perspectives to connect to think to logically you know to kind of um rather than just having instincts living from an instinctive survival place they were really making choices as well and basically um 
that so so they they because they were spending so many hours every day doing these down regulation techniques they had a different kind of brain than people who weren't but then they got those people in the other group to do the same techniques as the zen monks and after about two weeks there were differences in their brain and um it's, it's amazing i mean i could just tell you this story it's a really really great story but i i i just realized this is what i did uh, there was a point in my life where I was studying hypnobirthing. It was between my second and my third child. And one of the things about hypnobirthing is that you want to be able to keep your body out of fight, flight, and freeze mode during the entire course of labor. So you practice these breathing techniques that keep your body regulated in the face of possible fear. You know, there's a lot of things that can happen in labor. And even just the fact that you're experiencing pain can put you in fight, flight, and freeze mode. So it's you have to practice these techniques throughout the pregnancy in order to be able to use them effectively in labor. So I was practicing these techniques when my son used to wake up in the middle of the night screaming like he had colic so he would wake up he was one years old at the time and he he would wake up screaming like the top of his lungs it wasn't like the regular crying where it's a moaning first and then it gets more intense and then you can slowly wake up to it it was like zero to 100 it was quiet and then it was like this loud loud screech and my heart beat like it was literally my heart was like pounding in the back of my throat like I, I would wake up with this jump and this startle and my heart rate went up and I started using this breathing techniques and it was just basic breathing techniques of breathing in for 20 seconds and breathing out for 20 seconds. And you have to practice it to be able to do that because, you know, that it, it, in the beginning, when you start doing that, you can, you, you're like, oh, I can only breathe out for like seven seconds and then I have to breathe in again. But you can stretch it through practice. And then so basically it took me about five minutes to get my heart rate to go down again in the beginning. Like I would just start straight away with the breathing whilst I was taking care of him. And after about five minutes, I felt my, breath, my, my heart rate went down. But I, I did that every single night for about two weeks. And after about two weeks, I woke up without my heart pounding. So wow. I had reprogrammed my body not to respond to this. Now, I didn't realize what I had done. I just thought, yeah, I'm getting really good at this. And I'm going to you know, be able to use it in birth. But now I, I, have studied, I studied neuroplasticity a little bit and I started to have this understanding and it's just like blown my mind away that actually the more you practice down regulating in between triggers, not whilst you, you can use regulation techniques whilst you're triggered, but practicing them on a daily basis and practicing them in between is what really gives you the skills and really changes your brain so that when you are triggered and when things aren't, are stressful, you have the capacity to really be in a state of peacefulness and calmness inside and hold trust that things are going to be, things are okay. And like, ultimately, that is the trust. This is what the Baal Shem Tov was saying originally with the, the most important thing about prayer is believing that the prayer is answered. So you offer up the prayer and then you know it's, it's good. Yeah, done deal. I don't have to do anything, work hard, cry, beg, try more. It's like, thank you God I can already thank in advance like I'm already in that space of expansion waiting to see how it's going to come around and how it's going to come about and um, to be in that state of like real regulation and and higher what you would call in quantum touch energy that's amazing I'm really curious about what you said because there's a lot of labels these days um that people get with the brain you know mm -hmm. um learning difficulties, ADD, ADHD, all kinds of things that people are told they have. And I'm mm -hmm. just curious about, I know, I know a lot of the studies about changing the brain neuroplasticity, but I'm curious yeah. about how people have actually turned around brain related diagnosis. Yeah, on a kind of stuff like that. I'm going to look into some, see if there's any studies on that. Well, well, in quantum touch, have you ever come across working with the brain and um, seeing mm. results? Yes, definitely. In level two, we, we do a lot of brain work. Right. So I remember and from the, the course that we did. Right. So, so have you seen people, have you worked with people who've had ADHD or, or different brain neurodiversities and seeing results? Yes, but more so people come on the workshops to help a loved one mm -hmm. with some sort of learning difficulty or something brain related but Richard's intention with the brain work was to go more into the metaphysical aspects of the brain mm. um, right. and how they heal what we know about the brain in quantum touch is that it's not one hit wonder it's a it's over time the changes happen over time right and we've seen incredible things 
absolutely right. incredible things um, from people's ability to be present. People, mm -hmm. when they work with meditation in the brain, it's it's as if they've been meditating for years. It's, right. it's like going into a whole new vast universe. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm conscious that I'm going completely way off topic and we should probably uh, bring it back in. Bring it back in and into a nice, um, yeah. a nice close that will segue well into our next, yeah, into our next chat. So let's summarize. What have we discussed? We've discussed quantum touch, how it works. Yep. It's its similarities to prayer, and how it, it's perhaps one and the same thing. Um, prayer as a healing tool how to practically use prayer as a healing tool um, as, a, as a body work rather than just saying words, but actually experiencing words, actually experiencing intention, actually experiencing something. Um, and um, I think there's different, there's different sides to believe. You have some people who want to believe in their mind, they believe, but their body doesn't believe because they're still in like fear mode in their body. And that's a really hard place to be. It's like I'm willing myself to believe, but I don't believe. As in my, my brain believes, but my body doesn't. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like my heart rate's still going up and my my breathing's still short and shallow and I'm still feeling like sweaty and dizzy because like I'm like really scared. Um, so this kind of work we're talking about is really working with the body and really bringing the body in line with the deep knowing of the mind. And so the mind, heart and body are all aligned as one direct channel to receive and um and just to stay open and and watch and wonder how it all unfolds sounds amazing i'm excited yeah. to go and do some more healing with this in mind with yeah. everything you said in mind yeah. wow that was really really insightful and enlightening so thank you so much thanks for coming and talking and and explaining you know what you do and um really it, it's such a powerful tool and um it's just uh, you know it's uh, it's really just great to uh to get it out there and and uh, yeah well so thank you so much for coming